0: Forest City Church, anyone and everyone. Let me ask you, do you remember, I don't know, this will probably date some of you, do you remember that show, um, uh, that that show was Name That Tune? How many of you remember that show, Name That Tune? All right, so we're going we're gonna to play a little um, Name That Tune this morning, because we've been talking through songs last week, if you missed Tyler Burns' teaching through Mary's song, I would encourage you, go back and listen to it, but um, just for fun. We're going to play a little name that tune. I'm going to play you about four seconds of a song. We're going to see how good you really are. Here we go. You guys ready? For city church song number one. Oh, some you know that? Some of you know that? Huh? I'm going to give you a few more seconds. Talk to your neighbor. Who do you think this might be? All right. What is that song? Bye. The Beatles. Some of you are like, the Beatles? Uh, That's a whole generation. We need to have a conversation about the greatest band that's ever been uh, put together. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Let's let's move forward. I'd like to thank my generation. Um, Go ahead. Cue that song. Huh? We know that one? All right. Who is that? What song is it? Now, you got to get the right... Billy Jean, some of you are going to say Beat It by the one and only Michael Jackson. All right, um, here's the next song. This one's going to be a little trickier. Here we go. Some of you know, huh? They're in the news right now. There's a big breakup happening. Super sad. What? Oh, some of you are going to sing. Who was that? Yeah, I know. What, what song we got? What is it? You Make My Dreams Come True By. Hall of Notes, sorry. Right. One last song. Let's just one last song. Play that song. Alright. What song is that? Now see, that's a trick. It's a trick, right? Because it depends on which generation you came up. How many of you say that's the police? Yeah, but how many of you say that's Puffy? Ugh. <laughs> You know, here's the the thing. Here's the thing about music. Um, I don't know if you have songs like this where you know exactly where you were when you heard that song, but music does that to you, doesn't it? Like, there are songs that we have from uh, our, our first date, our first kiss, when our kids grew up. There are songs that you can play me, and I can tell you where I was when that song was played on the radio for the very first time. This is sort of what music does to us. And this is why over these last three weeks or last week, this week, and next week, we've been looking at these songs of Advent. In Luke chapter one, these songs that hold so much power. And like I said, if you missed Tyler Burns' message, go back and listen to it. Unbelievable message about Mary's song. Today, I'm gonna take the second song. A powerful song. A song that, if you look at your Bibles, it says Zachariah's song. Now, in a spirit of sort of pop culture and staying with the theme of these songs, I think the only way you really understand the power of this song is if we go a little behind the music. If we understand everything that's happening before this song. Otherwise, You're tempted to do what lots of people do, and you read Luke chapter one and you you, you sort of peruse and go, Oh, I need to get to the good stuff. I'm not going to read this song, I'm going to get to the good stuff. So let me give you a little bit of a behind the music. Zechariah. Now, who was this guy? The Bible says a few things about him, but what we do know right in the beginning is that he's part of a couple. The Bible's gonna introduce this couple, an old couple, a childless couple. He's married to this gal named Elizabeth, and in those days, the Bible points out that being childish, childless, is childish, childless, is a bad thing. Now, he's a priest, Zechariah, and being so, he would have been seen by the community as someone who walked close with God, who had God's favor, and so not having a child would call into question whether or not he actually walked that closely with God. They would look at his life and say, oh, how could he be blessed? How could he be favored? Because he doesn't even have a child. That's why Luke writes that this man is blameless. Like he is a good man. There is favor on his life, even though the rest of the community would have looked at him and said, I'm not, I'm not so sure. So Zechariah, we know he's an old man. He is a priest in the village, and he does not have the signs of blessing on his life. He has um, been a guy who's walked through the desert of life. And it's not just that he's walked through the desert personally. The reality is that in this moment of time, as a priest, he would have been a group of people who hadn't heard from God for generations. Yet, in fact, in those days, we know that the the children of Israel were a people that were governed by kings and um, they had prophets and priests and prophets who connected them to God. But when we find Zechariah, not only is he childless, has he walked through the tough parts of life, he's a part of a people group who haven't heard God's voice in 400 years. Like 400 years. You think, like, God's been silent in your life? And I know for many of us, we know what that feels like. Any of us walk through life and feel like we haven't heard God in a long time. We we don't know exactly what he wants us to do. I feel like he's abandoned me in some uh, perspective. Maybe that's you. 400 years. So for 400 years, the children of Israel haven't heard from God. Like, they don't have a clue. And I remember, they're an oppressed people who are, living underneath Rome's occupation. Their priests don't, haven't heard from God. They haven't heard from God for 400 years. It would put into question if God was really even there, right? 400 years. So this is the backstory to this guy. This is a guy who knows a little bit about life, a little bit about pain, a little bit about silence, right? And so in Luke chapter one, verse five, we find him. This is how it reads. It says that, in the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth, who was a descendant of Aaron. Now, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commandment and decrees blamelessly. This is important because Luke wanted to set up, yes, even though the community would be suspect of him as a priest because he didn't have any kids, and even though the community has said, yeah, I'm not even sure if talking to God matters, he's been silent for 400 years, Luke said, this is a good man. he's, He's a really good man. So the Bible also lets us know that he was someone who was consistent, even after 80 years. Now, here's, here's how it worked. There were 18,000 priests or so, that's the number historians will tell you, about 18,000 priests that were spread out among all of the country, the, these priests that were part of Israel, 18,000 pastors, if you will, to use today vernacular. So not all of them lived in Jerusalem, right? They lived in different villages all over the place, 18,000. Now, these priests, because there were so many, they would live all over the country, and twice a year for one week, so two times a year for one week, they would all be called back to Jerusalem, and they were called back to serve in the temple. So you were a priest, you were spread out all over the land, and two times a year, you were called back to Jerusalem to serve. And and we know that Zechariah lived outside of Jerusalem. So they head to Jerusalem. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 8, it says this once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. This is part of his duty. He had was called back to Jerusalem. He was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord, burn incense, and when the time for burning the incense came, All the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, this is really important. He's 18, he's one of 18,000 priests. Zechariah comes to his duties that week in Jerusalem to do what these priests would do. But in anticipation for this big service, what they would do with the priests is they would draw lots. So it was like a lottery system to see which one of the 18,000 would actually get to go into the temple, then into the Holy of Holies. So this is like, it would sort of be like winning the lottery. If there are 18,000 priests, and you only do this two times a year, the likelihood of you ever getting to go into the temple, like your number being drawn, is really, really low. You come to Jerusalem, do you do your stuff outside the temple? This year, they draw lots. And quite by chance, this priest who I suspect feels like I've done this for 80 years, I don't have children, I haven't heard God in my lifetime, my parents never heard him, their parents never heard him. I suspect. If he's anything like me or like you, he's questioning the existence of his life. Like, this is what I gave my life to, and I don't know, was it worth it? The Bible doesn't say anything about this specifically, but as I read through this this week, I thought, if he's anything like me, He's walked through life and not seen all of the signs that sometimes you, you believe come with favor. And it makes you question, like, is God really for me? Is he for me? He, he's for other people. I see other people going into the temple. I see other people's number get drawn, but mine doesn't seem to ever come up. And then, quite by chance, his number does come up. And and this 80-year-old man uh, probably gets the quick rundown. Now, there is no manual to tell the priest, right? They don't have a manual to tell them what's happening, but I'm quite sure that other priests would have said, okay, here's the deal, Zechariah. You're about to walk in the temple. Here's what's gonna go down. Here's how you swing the incense. Now, you gotta remember, there's a crowd, thousands of people outside the temple, children of Israel praying as well, and they're waiting for the priest to go in. This is like a big deal, right? This is like, if you got selected to sing the special song in your church pageant, right? Um, We don't do those here, but if we did, if you got selected to do that, He he gets the rundown from the priests and he he starts his way into the temple and then he goes into the most sacred spot, the Holy of Holies. And as he walks into the Holy Holies, something that no one could have prepared him for happens. In verse 11 it says, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now I can promise you, nobody's told him about the angel of the Lord. Because one, God hasn't talked to them for 400 years, right? If anything, they might have said, listen, don't count on hearing anything from God. He hasn't spoken to us in forever. Just go in, burn the incense, and come out. So he goes into the temple, and when he gets there, there is a creature. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate It is a pet peeve. I hate, hate, hate being startled. Hate it. Chrissy knows this, so she does it all the time. I hate it. Like if you just walked around with a camera, she did this to me yesterday. I'm walking in, I open the door and she's like, and she does that and it throws me off for a half an hour. It just messes up my brain because I'm having a great day. I'm just walking in, minding my own business. I have a coffee. Why you have to do that, Chrissy? Like, really? You gotta startle me? You know I don't like this. Well, this guy walks in, and this isn't Chrissy startling him. His wife's startling him. There's a creature. Who knows what it looks like? Tyler said last week, might have had eyes out the side of its head, and it wasn't looking like us. This is an angel. He walks into the temple. Dude, this fella's startled. The poor old guy, too. He's like, I'm 80 years old. He's like old Red Fox, you know, having a heart attack, right? Like having a heart attack. There's an angel in here, and the Bible tells us when he saw him, he was startled. He was gripped with fear. Of course he was. But the angel in verse 13 said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Now listen, he said, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you will call him John. John. Zechariah walks in, this moment that you can't even imagine, and an angel says, Your prayers have been answered. And then he goes on in verse 14, He will be joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of His birth. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. See, this isn't just a prayer that's being answered for Him, right? God's saying, Listen, I'm about to change everything, and I'm letting you, oh, forgotten one, in on it. You're the first one. It's gonna change for you. It's gonna change for everybody. All the silence is about to be broken. All the things you've prayed for, your whole life, Zechariah, it's about to happen. All the things you've pled for. And he will go on before the Lord. Verse 17, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready the people of the God. And here's what Zachariah does. And this is how I know I'm just like this dude. He says, how can that be true? Here's a guy who has begged for God to show up, who has pleaded with God to not be silent, and God finally shows up, and what does he say? He doesn't say, "Woohoo!" He doesn't go, yes, let's go. He's like, come on, man. That's not true. That's, that's not happening, right? How many of us, let's, let's just be honest for a second, you don't have to have, raise your hands, But how often does God show up in our lives and our first response isn't, thank you. Our first response isn't, finally, oh God, this is so good. I'm so happy. Our first response is a bit of skepticism. Be like, really? Now look, I know you're an angel. I understand this is not usual. But the reality is, you haven't shown up for 400 years. Why are you gonna start showing up now? Anybody else? Anybody else a little bit skeptical when you hear a preacher say, oh, listen, God's coming. He's, on, he's, he's working on your behalf in ways you cannot see. You go, really? Not working on somebody's behalf, not working on my behalf. And I say, "What? why? Well, because he never has. he's been silent for 400 years. We don't have kids. This is the first thing this man does. He says, how, how can I be sure of this? Now, no offense, you're an angel, but how can I be sure that you're gonna do the things you say you're going to do? How can he deliver us? How can he rescue us? I love what the angel says. He says, listen, dude. I stand in the presence of God, Zechariah, and I have been sent from that presence to speak to you. That's all you need. But because I can't trust you, which this isn't exactly what the Bible says, this is my, my version, because I can't trust you, I need you to not say anything for the next nine months, and I know you will go out talking trash, doing all the things that you do, because you don't believe, I'm an angel, I'm standing in front of you, dude. You're not gonna say anything for nine months. And he closes his mouth. Now now think about this for a second. Think. This man is representing the whole country, right? All the children of Israel. They've sent him into the temple. He goes into the temple. He sees an angel in the temple. He burns his incense. Lucky he didn't burn the place down when he saw the angel. And now he, he gets silenced, and I'm sure he's like, uh-oh, this is for real. And he needs to say some things because God said he's gonna deliver him. But God doesn't trust me. So now I come out and everybody's like, what'd God say? And you're like, mm. they're like, what, what, what'd he say? Like, that's all he can do is make crazy hand signals. And of course, everyone's like, this is why we don't pick the old guys from the other side of the country, right? <laughs> He's acting crazy. And this would be headline news. Crazy priest goes into the temple and now won't say anything, right? He can't tell him anything. You know, I thought about this man and for nine months now, he then endures this silence. And here's the reality: how many times in Scripture does silence and desert precede breakthrough? How many times? (laughs) Almost always. How many times does silence and desert precede a miracle? Almost always. And yet, isn't it true so often when we're walking through our desert, our silent season, we're tempted to believe God's not at work at all. You realize that This is going to be a precursor to another moment. This is when Jesus actually grows older and he steps out into the limelight to start his ministry. What is the very first thing that happens to him? He gets led into where? The desert. He didn't go start preaching, start talking. He gets led into the silent place. And do you know what the Bible tells us about that silent place? Do you know who led him there? The Spirit. It was the Spirit that led Zechariah to this silent space. It was the Spirit that moved Jesus into the desert. And all of it was preparation. All of it. The desert was preparation, because there's something about silence and deserts that does something to our hearts. There's something about those moments where we have to walk through and we can't just talk. There's something about these desert seasons that prep us for the things that he wants to do. And it's always been true. You go all the way back to Moses. For 40 years, the children of Israel, for 40 years, over and over, where God will consistently use the silence of the desert to shape us for the things that he's about to do. And I know, I know, my human heart wants him to just say it and then do it. Can we just do it now? Can we just, you know, it's like, let's do it right now. That's why my parents used to... Um, allow us to open one present on Christmas Eve. Any of you, get, you know, let your kids, I don't let our kids do that. I learned from my own. The reality was, if you let us have one present on Christmas Eve, we would pester you to death to get the rest of them. I, guys, listen, there's a lot of things I'm not, but persistent, I am. And I would just be like, can we just get one more? Just one more. It wasn't that I just got one. I wanted to get one more. I, can we get one more? How about two more? And how about three more? Let's just open them all tonight. Why can't we just open them all? This is like the human condition where it's like, can we just have all the blessing right now? Can you just get it right now? Can you just dump truck some stuff on me right now? Come on, God. I mean, I know you're right now. And God's going, no, no, no. See, if I dump this on you now, You won't be able to handle what I'm about to bring you. So I'm going to walk you through a season where we shape your heart, this desert, this silence, so that when the blessing comes, you'll be able to do with it what I want you to do with it, not what you want to do with it. See, this is a consistent theme. God walking us through silence and desert. And so often when we're walking through it, we'll say, Well, this is the evil one and it's the devil. And sure, the devil met Jesus out in the desert, hey, didn't he? He did. It wasn't the devil that brought him there, Spirit led him there. Spirit knew devil was going to be there. This was the refinement of our rabbi. And we don't know for the nine months that. Zechariah spent in silence what he went through, but I can tell you that I'm sure he as a human being went through all the emotions you go through when you cannot speak. When well, the whole community's like he's lost his mind. And on top of that, like when it's time to name the kid cuz here's what, so it starts to get crazy. Obviously Elizabeth starts to show and now the whole community is like, okay, I don't know what's going on. How, how, how is that old lady having a baby? What is happening? He can't talk. They're having a baby. The whole community, this is a tiny little community. They're, they're all talking about it. And somehow they ask in scripture, what are we going to name him? Now you need to know. In those days you were lucky enough to have a child, especially at his age, you're going to name that child a family name, probably carry your name. And, and it would be so crazy for someone to name their child something other than to, to carry this family name, especially if you waited for 80 years. And I'm sure they had a dialogue, even though he didn't get to pay it, play a part of it. Somehow he wrote in sand, no, 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 we're not naming him after me. We're naming him John. So the whole community thinks this man's lost his marbles. He names him John. The Bible tells us he begins to speak. Now, the first thing he does is sing a song. He doesn't say, I told you so, I told you so. I'm not crazy, right? When you go through hardship and you've lost friends and they've looked at the path you've walked on and they're like, man, you're just, you're a lost cause. Too bad for you. When you know you've been called to do something and the world says to you, don't do that. That's nuts. Don't go there. That's crazy. The first thing you want to say is, see, I'm not crazy. She's pregnant. Ha, 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 ha. That's what you want to do, but you know what he does? He puts aside, because this is what silence can do to you. It can begin to shape your heart to realize, like, who cares what other people think? Who cares what the world says? Here's what matters. There is a God who sits on the throne, and he still does miracles today. Like, this is what he does. And so... This is Zachariah's song. You guys, man, you can come up. I'm just going to read it to you. This was all a setup for this one song. Because now you know, like, when this man opens his mouth, he starts to sing. Isn't it true sometimes? Sometimes. Sometimes all you can do is sing. Sometimes all you can do is sing. Sometimes in the lowest of lows, all you can do is sing. But sometimes in the highest of highs, all you can do is sing. And so it says this in verse 67. It says, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. God opens his mouth and he says this. Listen to him sing. Praise be to the Lord God of Israel. He didn't say why'd you why you lead me in the desert? Why did you take me into silence? He says, "Praise!" He begins to sing this: "Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He said through His holy prophets over four hundred years ago. He would. He showed up. Salvation from our enemies." and from the hand of all who hates us, to show mercy to our ancestors, to remember his holy covenant, an oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sin because of the tender mercies of God by which the rising of the sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadows of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And my guess is we read it once in Luke's gospel, but my guess is This dude just keeps singing this refrain over and over and over going, see, God is good. He's coming to rescue us. God is good. He's doing what he said he would do. God is good. He's so good. Do you know that the gospel of Luke mentions more about joyful worship than any other book in the Testament? Like Luke pulls these songs out intentionally because he knows in the same way we do, there is power in song. Something that happens when we sing. Something that happens when we sing over ourselves and there's something that happens when others sing over us. There's just something that happens. And look, here's what I know. This Christmas season, Christmas can be so joyous and so wonderful can also be a season where we are reminded of the silence we've been sitting in, the deserts we've been walking through. Christmas can bring a bunch of questions about our worth and if God and will he and can he in this season that I walk through, will he ever? And I wondered when I was reading this song, we read it for the first time, I wondered like, I wonder how long he'd been rehearsing that in his mind, right? Think like there's going to come a day when he's going to take this off my mouth and he's going to be sorry because I'm just going to start singing. I'm just going to start singing. I'm going to see the reality of who he is. I'm just going to start singing. And he didn't know if God would ever give him his voice back for sure, Right? By love that the moment that he gives his voice back, he starts to sing, right? Right? He starts to sing this truth. So will you stand with me? We're gonna we're gonna practice this. We're just gonna spend the last few moments of singing like, okay, here I am. I've been walking through silence and darkness and death. I see 400 years of destruction behind me. And it's hard to believe that God could ever show up. But I'm just going to sing. And and maybe, maybe, maybe you need to listen to some people sing. I, I know you might not want to because the person next to you may not be able to carry a tune. But the truth is, we borrow faith from each other. When we sing these truths that no matter where you are this Christmas season, there is a God. He sees you. He's working in your silence. He has a plan for your life. And I promise you, Christmas reminds us that God does what he says he's going to do. It will come for you. Let's sing this together.